thinking in terms of worship songs versus other songs. I don't feel like I need to sacrifice that when I'm writing a non-worship song. Yeah. No, it's true, and I yeah. feel the same way too. You know, when when I'm when I'm writing a song for for Melanie, you know, or uh, um, I'm trying to work on a song for um, uh, for you know, our unborn child, and uh, you, you know, like I, I totally think differently. Well, see, and not just not those kind of songs only, but like uh, you know, back in the day when we used to have special music all the time, we heard tons of songs that weren't worship songs, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I remember so many of those songs. Because they they spoke to me in a, in a powerful way. In a musical way, or a- both, both a musical way and the message. But we wasn't they weren't necessarily songs that you would sing as a congregation because they were too you know technical in one way right. or another. So anyway, we can get back to you that. Know, yeah, interesting. We when we when we get to that part about you know writing simple songs, you know, I have a few ideas because I was when I was reading that I was thinking. You know, right now there's a lot of really, you know, hot, great worship songs that are coming out. People are singing in churches, but they're tough to sing. Um, you know, we've done like "Sweetly Broken" at at our church, and that you know that that one jumps like you know an octave and a third. Right. Um, you know, uh, "Revelation" song. I, I was just blogging about it. We we did that kind of as a special, and I mean, people really responded and loved it, but. Um, it's actually a really tricky song to do, like melody-wise, and 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 it's hard because you know I, I love some of these songs, but you know again I want to be a servant to the people, and um, you know is, is it too complicated? What what's the balance when it's, you know, yeah. Anyway, we should talk about that when we get there. Yeah. So this is Worship Ministry Catalyst. Oh gosh, have we already been recording? <laughs> we have. No way. So uh, we're I, getting... I was barely even talking into my microphone. Oh, we got you. We got signal. That's a good mic. Really? Yeah. Whoops. But um, hey, we're going to get right into it, but uh, give you our info real quick. Worship Ministry Catalyst, a networking resource for all worship leaders and worship team members serving as a catalyst to facilitate better worship in the local church. <gasps> my name is David. I'm That's here a with... mouthful. <laughs> it is a mouthful. <laughs> you, just, you just rattled that thing off there. Yeah, we've done it, what, 47 times yeah, now? Yeah, I'm it's, Kevin. I'm Kevin. Well, geez, there. you know, I, I was saying all these things we should talk about, but I, I already said them. So yeah, we'll that, talk about them. We'll talk about we'll them. We'll talk about them for reals. Okay. As in, as some people say, for, for reals. reals. <laughs> but uh, I say that. Well, so so here we are, right back on page 34. No funny stuff today. Wow, we're just... No we personal are all, stories. We are all business today, folks. You can folks. go back through the other uh, 45 podcasts and pick that up. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're right into it, and partly because it's something I really like talking about. And yeah, something I, know, I really you, want to know about more, and so... Uh, you got you you were getting excited about it, man. Last, last episode, you were getting all pumped. Yeah, I, this is this is very near and dear to me. So That's great. hey, we're talking about writing songs. If yep. you're just catching up with us on this podcast, we're talking about writing songs. Specifically, we are going through uh, Paul Balash, Jimmy and Carol Owens' book, God, God songs. songs. Yeah, and so we just started the in the last episode, episode forty six. And so this is pretty pretty new topic for us right now. We haven't we haven't talked about it before. We're so we're just getting started. We're halfway through chapter one. So if you want to get caught up, go listen to episode forty six, and you'll be right on the same page with us. Yep. But uh, here we go. We're talking. We're picking up page thirty four. God songs, first chapter. How worship songs are born. And uh, and let's get let's get right on it. Let's start with this quote. The ideal process of writing a Christian song should not only 
It should be not only an, a cooperation of the left and right side of the brain, but a collaboration of the writer's spirit with the Holy Spirit, producing an anointed and appointed message instigated by God and crafted by the writer. You know, and this right here w- was something I was kind of wrestling with. Um, no, I shouldn't say wrestling. That might be too strong. Um, w- what I'm trying to say, though, is, you know, I- I've I've recognized that there are some songs that truly are anointed. You know, there are some songs when you hear them, they strike a chord in you. They resonate in your heart. Uh, one such song that we just started doing at Laurelwood and people have really responded to um, it's a song by Brian Dirksen uh, called Holy God um, it, an incredibly underrated song not too many people know about it and uh, man oh man th- this song has just lifted uh, the spirits of people in our church and I look at that song and, and I look at the preparation you know Brian went to uh, when he wrote that song you know he, he uh, shared at that pastor's at that worship conference about how he he went away for like two days to a cabin by himself and he started writing down all these attributes of god and he started writing down all these adjectives of who god is and what makes him holy and out of it he he wrote this very simple song called holy god and um you know very very simple but powerful ideas like you know the verses uh creating commanding transcendent adonai uh, defending love, destroying sin, the warrior divine. And I, I look at that and I think, wow, <laughs> you know, do, do I, do I have that kind of discipline to write anointed songs like that? You know, and I, I almost, I almost think, geez, maybe I'm not good enough, you know, because, <laughs> you know, like what he says right here, uh, you know, a collaboration of the writer's spirit with the Holy Spirit producing an anointed and an appointed message instigated instigated by god and crafted by the writer and i'm thinking wow you know like like i don't know if i'm doing that and and that's what I, that's what i'm kind of struggling with you know because so so many times i feel like i'm writing songs and maybe i'm writing them to, to fill a void or maybe i'm writing them to, to to um to help our church with a message or you know i'm writing them um on assignment and uh uh and i'm like wow it is am I doing this right? Like, is this going to be anointed? And if it's not, like, is it worth it? You know? Well, it's funny because that's what he talks about next. But, yeah. um, no, it I was think, a segue. Yeah. Well, I'm going to skip over the segue and come back and talk to about that. But, yeah, thanks. You know, I, I'm, I'm right there with you because I don't, I, for me, the entire process doesn't feel like, you know, I used to, I used to think of it and maybe some other people think of it. I don't know if you watch Heroes, the no. TV show Heroes. Okay, well, there's a character in there and used to be able to to paint the future and mm. paintings. And that was like what the comic book, where the paintings and Didn't the comic book came like from. Didn't he die like in the first season? Yeah, but his gift got transferred on to somebody else, okay. blah, blah, blah. But any, it's it's a comic book show. But, but anyway, when he would when he would paint these things of the future, his like his eyes would just, you know, be glazed over with this different look where it was like it was obvious that his eyes were were not his eyes anymore. He was seeing something right. else. Right. And so and so like you have this mystical picture of the same yeah. thing for songwriters. Right. Like and all of a sudden they're being like controlled. And yeah. And I don't, you know, as much as we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit in this life in our imperfect state, you know, then, then yes, we are being controlled by the Holy Spirit when we write. But at the same time, we are in an imperfect state 
right now. So I don't think it's possible for us to, to be in that, you know, perfection of being of complete life in the spirit that we, that our sinful bodies cannot yet experience. Hmm. So if that's not possible for us as physical beings, I don't know that it's possible for us as songwriters to actually get all the way there. However, I do think that there are there are moments when we experience inspiration, like they talk about, sure. when the Holy Spirit inspires us with an idea. For me, for example, there's a song that I wrote a little while ago called Pardoning Blood, and I just came into work one day, and I, I had written that phrase down a couple of days before mm. on a pad of paper, and it was just sitting on my desk. And I came into work one morning, and I saw that, and I thought, and and the tune came to my head for that for that uh for that line for the hook and then wow. and then the rest of the chorus just came like in a matter of minutes and i'm like well that was obviously not me writing that song that was obviously being inspired by somebody else but the rest of the song was a huge labor like mm. the rest of the song took me forever to complete and and so does that mean i wasn't writing the rest of the song in the holy spirit no i don't think so i think i was inspired with with the key part of the song by the holy spirit and then i have to do the work to complete the song so that people can experience right. well, it and they even talk about yeah. in that book you know the idea of, of um they're sharing the story of uh, chris tomlin's song forever and and it took him four years to write that song <laughs> Um, you know, because he had he had like the ideas for the the verses, but it's like he just couldn't get it organized. He couldn't put it together. Um, you know, and, and even to the point of being in the recording studio and uh, and trying to trying to work on the chorus. You know, forever God is faithful. Forever God is, and and like he just couldn't come up with the idea. And and it was the wife of the bass player who stuck her head in the studio, like in the uh, in the room, and said, "Strong, forever God is strong." You know. And uh, he's like, oh, that works. But, you know, it, it's that process where mm-hmm. it doesn't always come. Sometimes it has to percolate, has to sit in your greenhouse, mm-hmm. um, which he uh, he talks about here in a few pages. But before we get there, let's talk about um, this idea of writing on assignment. And I kind of mentioned it where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there's times where where we've been doing something at church and and it's like there just isn't a good song for that Um and, and and I I kind of write based on like a purpose on a reason and that's what I was referring to him saying wow like is is this really an anointed thing am I doing the right thing and Paul addresses that he says not every song begins with an inspiration some are born out of a need um, he talks about the idea of uh, you know needing it for a particular message or a publisher or you know um, an artist trying to fill a certain spot. Uh, professional songwriters, you know, they're often called to, to write specific uh, songs, like a craft almost. And then he says this, even though the song didn't start from an emotional experience, it can still be anointed. Right. Um, maybe maybe what it is, it just doesn't feel as anointed to me, you know? <laughs> well, like, uh, for, for example, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Martin Luther. He wrote that song out of a need. Yeah. And it was more than one need. It was two needs. He had the need for for teaching people theology and the need for having it be in something in a form that people could remember. Hmm. And so those two needs are what drove him to writing the the lyrics for mighty fortresses are God. And so he sets it to a bar tune that everyone knows and he's, and he's teaching theology. Well, I can't imagine that he sat down in an inspired moment and said, okay, here we go. 
A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our like, helper, he who missed the flood. Yeah, so, okay, so for me, I imagine him taking months sure. on each verse sure. you know, to get it down to the point where, oh, this works. To, all to write, writing the craft. Of right. It. And, and so, so I guess the point being, David, um, you know, as we've been reading this first chapter, there, there is a balance, right? There, there's a balance of being being someone who is intentional in your craft someone who's living you know we talked last episode about living uh and actually being so purposeful in in how we do music and how we write music is a part of who we are um uh you know the the idea of of maybe writing to fill a need uh, but also letting letting god work through you in in amazing ways so there is that balance between those two things you know right and that and that goes into the uh, the greenhouse idea. Mm-hmm. The greenhouse. The greenhouse effect. We're all living it. <laughs> Creating a song is a lot like having a little plant growing in your greenhouse. Doesn't that just make you feel all warm and it makes fuzzy? Makes me happy. Yeah. I, I feel I feel so special right now. Wanna, so, uh, yeah, well, that's a pretty obvious idea. We don't need to dwell on it too much. But if a plant's not ready to come out of the greenhouse, don't take it out of the greenhouse. It'll die. Well, I thought it was such a great point. I, I don't know. It is a simple idea, but it really struck me mm-hmm. when I read that. You know, you, you may have songs that you start writing that just aren't ready, um, and you set those ones aside. You know, you, you maybe have a notebook where you, you journal your ideas. You know, you come back to it. Um, earlier in the book, they shared they shared the story of a, a Bard Millard song. Um, I can only imagine, mm-hmm. you know. And th- this was a song ten years before the song was produced. His father had passed away, and he had he had just written some ideas down, and, and he was grieving the loss of his dad, you know. And he's writing ideas about, gosh, you know what. What's my dad experiencing? I, I hope something better than I can imagine. I, I can only imagine what he's experiencing. And and then ten years later he comes back to that notebook and he remembers those feelings and he's inspired by it and out of that the song is born you know it it took like you know he he wrote the song in ten minutes but it took ten years for him to get there right yeah and if he had tried to take it out ten years ago no it wouldn't have been ready yeah and and we would never know about it but so the greenhouse effect don't take a song out of the greenhouse till too soon uh, and sorry not to interrupt you but. I don't know if he says it here or somewhere else, but another thing that struck me, David, is uh, Paul talks about how so many songs um, end up becoming 70% songs. That They're songs that if you would have just waited a little bit, if you would have just let sit for a little bit, they could have been 100% songs. They, they could have been phenomenal songs. And Paul even admits, he's mm-hmm. like, you know what? There's been some songs that I I wrote for like a worship album, and I had like a deadline. The publisher was saying, we need these songs. And he's like, I, you know, I hate to admit it, but uh, I don't think they were ready. I don't think they were all the way. And I threw them out there, and they're fine. But I, I you know, I, I gotta believe that if I just given it a little bit more time, mm-hmm. these songs might have instead of being like just okay seventy percent songs, they could have been great hundred percent songs. Well, it's like what I've done. And I, I don't know if you do this, but when I'm working on a song, I'll record it in its whatever state it's at and listen to it. And and then I'll you know then I'll I'll set it aside for a while and come back to it after it's not right in my head anymore. Right. And then I'll start to hear things that oh that doesn't sound good or that doesn't work or that line's forced or this or that. And then yeah, I, I do that a lot with uh you know with as I'm writing words and trying to figure out how they play together and 
you know, sometimes you, you uh, when you're so, when you're so involved in it, and you're so in the middle of it, uh, you, you can't step back and like look at, you know, this doesn't really work. This doesn't really fit. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense to anyone but me. <laughs> so uh, I need to rework it a little bit. But yeah, so, um, but but that that coupled with there will probably come a moment when you realize that that's about all the free-flowing stuff you're going to hear, in quotation marks, and that's the time to begin applying your craft. Mm. Yeah, once you realize that a song has been in the greenhouse as long as it can possibly stay in the greenhouse, and even though you don't feel like you've got 100% of the song in your head to get out on paper, but, you know, you know at some point you realize, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hear anything else in my head about this song. I just need to start working it yeah. until I get it done. Yeah, start crafting it. And, you know, yeah. And then he says, just uh, like a paragraph later, uh, craft means knowing what to do when the great inspiration strikes, you know. So uh, maybe you do have the inspiration, um, like you get inspired by something and being able to hone that craft, you know. So um, from inspiration to perspiration. Yeah. So, so there's the first chapter. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, again, uh, you mentioned it last episode, David. Uh, this book, God Songs, written by Paul Balash and Jimmy and Carol Owens. Um, great book for songwriters. Um, you know, it can even be used for worship leaders who are interested in song selection. Um, but one of the things I've enjoyed about this book, you mentioned it last episode, are the stories, you yeah. know? And this first chapter is just packed with yeah, all these stories about um you know tim hughes here i am to worship brian dirksen come now's the time to worship chris tomlin forever um i will celebrate uh matt Revin, heart of worship shout to the lord lord i lift your name on high rock of ages i can only imagine um you know tons and tons of stories and it is is great when you hear uh the the inspiration or the craft that went into making that song happen yeah yeah and and it's funny because you know when you when you pick up a book like this and you and you read on the back, you know that there are you know stories from blah 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 includes stories and advice from all these people, darling check Chris Tomlin. You expect it to be just minute little like one sentence, you know, here and there about this or that. But these are actually, I mean, they're not writing the book, but there's substantial content from all these people in here. Yeah, definitely. So, hey, you know what? I think we're gonna wrap it wrap that up because. Uh, I don't think we have enough time to get into the no, next chapter. Wow. How long have we been talking? 18 minutes, 19 minutes. Okay. And so I don't want to get it. I don't want to start. You don't, you don't want to start chapter two yet. Yeah. Well, can we give them a teaser? Because I, you know, I think chapter two has some really practical stuff. Uh, yes. You know, I felt like chapter one was kind of like the, uh, the basic building blocks, you know, in terms of how, you know, how worship songs are born. Um, you know, letting letting uh, the craft become become a part of who you are, putting the songs in the greenhouse, making sure you're owning it, living it. Chapter two, however, uh, talks about what really makes a song great, and I thought there were some really good practical things. Oh, so yeah. let, let's give a little teaser. Tease, tease, tease. What makes a good worship song? So all just, the I'm, elements work together. <gasps> Make all the elements work together. Yes, yeah, written in like 
60 point font. <laughs> yeah, it's like the largest print I've ever seen in a book ever. Yeah. But they were pretty serious about it. Yeah. Well, and that's that's so, they, that's what they say is the cardinal rule. Yeah. All the elements have to work together to enhance the feeling of the message. So, practical things that um tune in tune in next week and uh you'll hear some of these practical things about uh making great worship songs, all the elements, everything from the rhythm and the melody of a song to the actual form and the structure and the flow, uh, the theme, um, tempo, uh, you know, the, these really practical, perhaps maybe minute details, but super important. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you talked about it last episode, how you're mentioning, um, you know, songwriters, uh, you know, you go to a college campus and you, you have everyone and their brother uh, playing a guitar out on the front, you know, out on the lawn, just, you know, doing these songs they've written and that's great. Nothing wrong with personal worship and personal expressions of worship, but the idea of um, you know it, taking the very um, doing the, the the hard diligent work of of looking at all the elements and looking at okay, is the theme of the song and the flow of the song and the form of the song is it going to um, is it going to serve a need in my worship community? Is it going to fill a need? Uh, you, you know what I mean? And that's, I think, where Chapter 2 really gets into that yeah. practical, logistical stuff. And if not, don't force it on people. Don't force it. Yeah. But, uh, hey, before we go, I I, uh, I need to need to say a little something. I, I uh, For the first time in almost two years, I forced people out of the sanctuary this weekend. Whoa, <laughs> what happened? What? Are you serious? Yeah, it wasn't a good thing. Um, but we had a guest worship band here, and so I'm back at the sound booth with the sound guy, and I'm trying to get him to push it a little bit, right? So I, I have him push it just a little bit hotter, and I think there might be some other issues there with these people that left, but they left because they said it was too loud. And so, wow. So, yeah. What, was it too loud? <sighs> I don't... Uh, you don't, you don't think I don't so. think it was. I know we've been louder in the past and people haven't left. If it makes you feel any better, I get people saying we're too loud all the time, (laughs) almost every single week. See, that used to happen to me almost every single week, if not more than once every single week. At your At my old church. church. And it's never happened to me yet here. Yeah, it's a different different culture. But, yeah, so, I don't know, we were running, we were peaking about 92 decibels. That's not loud at all. Yeah. And... I mean, it was definitely maybe a little bit louder than what we normally do, but it wasn't like we were up at like 105 or 110, you know, like we're at a big rock concert somewhere. Yeah, we we, we run, could have. We had the room to go there if we wanted to. Sure. But we didn't. Yeah, we we run ours 112. All, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. So, uh, so they, they actually left and yeah. they complained and said, mm-hmm. wow. So we backed it off a little bit. Sure. No, I have people every single week saying, you know, it's too loud, drums are too loud. And, you know, the the big the biggest problem is, well, there's a couple of problems, but one of the big problems, I mean, it really is a sound thing, is the way our sanctuary is designed in that kind of like half uh, circle type of environment. And our speakers, I mean, they're just old speakers. They don't get good coverage. So, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're cranking the speakers just to be able to, you know, get a balance. Um, but, but then like, depending on where you're sitting, it's going to be louder. Uh, you know, we just need better coverage and we need, and we've done everything we can on stage to lower the volume, you know, drum shield and, and, uh, you know, using 
using like hotspot monitors and and little things and uh anyway it's not quite everything well okay i shouldn't yeah i i guess i'm speaking a hyperbole <laughs> apparently i have a problem with speaking in hyperbole i guess i do it a lot someone called me on it last week and uh they're like kevin you you say big dramatic things a lot uh because because i i was I was saying something like, oh, yeah, you know, this always happens. Or I was like, yeah, there's a million reasons why. Or I was like, yeah, you know, I, I was just talking to him like all day. And so apparently I speak in hyperbole a lot. And <laughs> I, I really, I never noticed it. Now I'm becoming a lot more conscious of it. The two biggest things for us that we've done to reduce stage volume is to enclose the drums, yep. put a lid on them with, uh, with some sound absorbent material on top and in the back. Right. Have you done that? We did that. You have one on top too? Oh, like a roof? Yeah. No, no roof. That'll make a big difference. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Because the sound still has plenty of room to go. We don't have the sound baffling in the back either. Yeah, if you if you even just had a roof and then backed it up against the wall, like the stage. Right. Which, isn't there some sound material on the back wall of the stage? No. No. Um, but, There's a curtain. Yeah. That's it. But uh, not all the drummers like it, but you just kind of have to make the decision and force them into it. Sure. Because we got, uh, I don't know, probably an extra 20, 25 decibels of, of volume wow. reduction on stage because the drums were enclosed. Wow. I mean, it was, you used to be able to not, to not talk if the drummer was drumming, but now I can talk to people right outside the drum cage and hear what they're saying. Wow. So, so that's the huge thing. The other thing is to get rid of all floor wedges and go with AVM, which isn't as expensive as you think, mm. but it makes a huge difference because then you don't have any stage volume except for acoustic instruments. Right. And that's and that's what gets and that's what gets you the clarity. If you're going to have you know for from a sound technical yeah, kind of thing, I know, you got to have. Muddy. Well, you have to have like at least ten decibels of difference between your stage volume and your house volume. Mm. So, if you want to run your house at ninety, you got to have your stage no louder than eighty. And ideally, you want a lot, as much room in between there as possible. Sure. So, if you have, if you can get your stage volume down to sixty-five by by doing a couple of those things, and it doesn't have to cost a fortune, but if you can do a couple of those things, then it's then it doesn't have to be run as loud, and it'll be clear. Mm. So. Little tip for uh, Will. Thanks. For I, you know, you I've there. tried to, I've tried to do some of that stuff. Obviously, I mean, we haven't used the uh, the personal like in ear monitor type things, um, partly because I, gosh, you know, I, I have a really big problem with some of the, uh, some of the the hearback systems. Just like like we had one at one point. It was just horrible. It was so like, it was so low end. You know, like in terms of um, just the the quality of it. I mean, it was it was rough, you know. I couldn't justify making my worship team use it. Aviom is not that way. How is, how much do they run? I think they run like three hundred bucks a mixer. Ooh. So, and so you have like everyone, like even even all your vocalists up front use them. We used to. Now our vocalists are back to a floor monitor. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, we just lost the last three minutes of our podcast due to a, a Macintosh computer issue. Whoops. Apparently, I thought Macs weren't supposed to have issues. Yeah, I thought Macs were perfect. Anyway, so uh, we're not exactly sure how to recapture that, so we're not going to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well what? We've been ta- we were talking about making 
the sound right. Yeah. You know, personal AVM, mixers. Get your stage volume down. Buy some AVM monitors and close your drums. Right. And you said uh, everyone wants their worship uh, team to sound good. I mean, that's what we want. That, yeah. That's that's our bottom line. If we can make things sound good and uh, keep volume down and you know keep people happy. That's a good thing. And if you can if you can do some technical things that is just equipment to improve that, then I think we should. Yeah. Cost money though. I mean, and I'm I'm struggling on that one. I'm trying to find what what best use our money and you know, it's hard cuz like I know I like I know that um I feel like we we've done a lot for our our sound, but I know that there's more things we can do. Sometimes it's just overwhelming. It is, and that's why you've got to have a priority list. And yeah. You gotta make your you know top ten or top twenty purchases, whatever they are. Prioritize them, and then just start chipping at them one at a time, and you'll eventually get there. Yep. That's what I do. Yeah. So anyway, if we missed any other information, we're sorry. Sorry. Uh, there's nothing I can do to recover that. So. Thank you, Macintosh. You can listen to us at worshipministrycatalyst.com. You can check us out online. Check out all our information there. You can join our social network, worshipministrycatalyst.ning.com, or you can send us an email to david at worshipministrycatalyst.com or kevin at worshipministrycatalyst.com. And we'd love to hear from you. We love the feedback you guys give us, and uh, we'd love to hear your expertise on these situations. So get and in touch. And so next week we'll get into chapter two of dos. God Songs. God Songs Dose. Dose. Part Trace. Chapter two. All right. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. All right. We'll see you later. Bye.